0: Hello and welcome! You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch Movement. They want to see Matthew 24:14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul.
1: Hey Resiliency listeners, you may be tired of hearing us ask you to send us your feedback, but we love hearing from you and it helps us to refine our podcast. Our episode today is a result of your feedback when one of our listeners asked us to do an episode on language learning. Since learning a language is a major contribution to resiliency on the field and also a predictor of whether or not someone makes it on the field for the long long term, Steve and I decided to pull together excerpts from past episodes and recordings people sent in to us, sharing their vision for and stories of language learning. We're not going to try to draw out conclusions or tie these episodes together, but just let them stand on their own. These are people who have proven that making a commitment to language learning has led to deeper connection, a sense of belonging, and greater effectiveness in ministry.
2: So John and Aaron, gone to the big chicken, learned a perennially difficult language (laughs) to learn, and you're... Eleven or twelve years in, and I'm sure you would say, like most language learners, yes, and still learning, but how have you um become more resilient through your commitment to know to know the language like you have?
3: I think like everyone who is listening who's been overseas, like the ability to actually feel like you can function in real life is a real big motivator <laughs> um, not from everything from buying groceries to actually ministering to locals. And so obviously continuing to have vision, you know, is, is a big thing, but with, with our particular language, I think, you know, besides just diligence in classroom and the fact that it's always going to take longer than you want it to, you know, really being a risk taker and really being willing to get out of your own comfort zone and, you know, get out there and make mistakes learning language like, You know, some people would say you need to make, if you want to learn a language, you need to make at least 10,000 mistakes before you're going to know the language. And so to just have that attitude of, I'm going to have to get out there, and the more I use it, the more I'm going to not just lose what I'm learning, but actually increase uh, my journey is just one of, as I both run a language school and have learned the language, like, it's the people that don't just do the book learning and listen to the... You know, to the YouTube videos or just go through their note cards, but it th- it's those people who do have that foundation that you need in a language, but then are willing to get out with locals, you know, consistently day after day and actually risk the um, humiliating process <laughs> of over and over again not being understood and misunderstanding. Use it and abuse it <laughs> is a uh, is really the ones who learn faster, as well as get there. Um, you know, actually reach their goals in effectiveness.
0: Yeah, and as a mom who we started with two kids and now we have four, and so I went through the baby stage learning language with two kids, I had to be easy on myself with setting all these goals and then being and trying to figure out what are my priorities. And so I had to not have such high expectations during the baby years. Yet at the same time, we were very intentional about getting me away from those babies in order to to have um, two language classes a day when they when they were still babies. And then when they were old enough to be able to um, have someone take care of them and I wasn't needed so often, um, I still was intentional about getting a teacher that I felt comfortable with, and that was a fellow mom, and that was motivating for me. But I'd say my biggest motivator was I'd go out, and I'd lo- look at these faces, and I'd want to communicate. I'd want to ask questions, and I couldn't yet. And so it just kept pushing me to, let's go through the pain of the putting in the time and making all the mistakes. And every time I would meet with my language instructor, which was a fellow believer and a fellow mom, which was so helpful. I think that's a key is to have an instructor that you can really relate to and who will motivate you. Um, I knew it was worth it to put in that time and to go through the pain. Cause I knew the end result was I was going to be able to communicate with these people. The life on the inside of me could come out in words, um, articulated to them in their language. So yeah. and- I'm still not there. I'm, Still in the process. My kids help translate for me. That's one good thing about wow, your kids. They'll great. be in immersion and that they translate for me. But I there's it's a joyful process now instead of this. Ugh, I have mm. to do this some more.
3: And our experiences have been really good because we were always able to get one-on-one tutors, um, mm-hmm. which in my watching people learn language, that's in almost ninety nine out of a hundred cases, that's the better way to learn a language if you're allowed to do that. So even language learners that are required to like be in a university classroom or a more formal situation, I would really encourage them to still get at least a few times a week uh, a one on one type of language tutor because language learning is is an active process. and in a classroom setting, you end up learning passively. And so that's a big a big hindrance I see is that people that have to be in the formal classroom setting not getting the more proactive active learning process through a tutor or friends
1: this next episode comes from our very first episode and is actually one of the most listened to episodes on the resiliency podcast and mike and stephanie just give us great vision for the need to learn language and how it helps us in developing resiliency
4: but it does take a while i think it takes a couple of years to get over that initial culture shock language acquisition. Well, I saying, and, yeah, yeah I think language, and then it's but I think language is a key to that, and so you, until you have some language, I don't know if you can completely feel... Feel adjusted. Yeah. Yeah, someone told us, and I hung on to this, they said, language learning is a stress reliever, mm-hmm. because the, the more language you learn, the less stress you're going to feel. You know, you have a couple of guys come to your house, and fixing pipes, and they laugh at something you said, and you don't know, and you're like, are they trying to rip me off? What are mm-hmm. they doing? But then you know the language and then you get the joke and you laugh too. Yeah. And it's not as stressful as yeah. those, those, those uncomfortable that's, situations. That's a good sign when you're adjusted. And I thought that earlier is when you can laugh with people. You laugh yeah. with people in your situation because you get it. And, you. And, and to look at language, like you said, Silas, not just I've got to grind it out and learn 10,000 vocabulary <laughs> words, but this is actually a culture. This is a window into the culture. Like, for instance, in this, in this language, there are no verb tenses. Uh, and so, you know, I would teach. I taught English here for a while, and I would have to draw these uh, elaborate charts on the on the board to explain verb tenses. You know, mm-hmm. present perfect and past mm-hmm. tense, and uh, all these crazy verb tenses. And I realize, wow, to us as an American, mm-hmm. time is very important. It comes through in our language. But here, it's like there- there's no there's no verb tenses. You don't conjugate verbs, which is great for language learning, by the way. Wow. <laughs> but it, it really shows that people really live in the moment. And so I used to take a verse like make the most of your time as like that's like multitasking. Like get as much done in a little amount of time. And living here, the, 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 the way it's phrased in the, in the Bible here, it's more like fill the time with meaningful things. Mm. And kind of living in the moment. So making the most of your time might be to receive that guest and really... Uh, really, you know, focus in on what they're saying and connect with them. Plus, you can be ten minutes late here for an appointment; it's not a big deal, so that helps. Yeah. <laughs> <No> <laughs> but but right the, 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 the language is a window is a window into a culture, and if you look at it that way, it's fascinating. It's endlessly fascinating. Like, why is there, you know, why do in in English, for instance, we don't we only have one word for you you plural and you singular. That's why we have to say you guys or y'all. Okay, why is that? And then in our language here, there's two words for we. Mm. There's a word for like we inclusive and we exclusive. And there's just all sorts of, I don't know, little little cultural gems in the language if, if you really come with the heart of a learner.
1: I think a lot of us who have struggled through the grind of learning a language as adults can identify with this clip from episode 36, where Clinton shares very vulnerably with us about how hard it was for him to learn to speak Thai. What are some of the hardships that y'all faced
2: as you especially ministered in South southern Thailand all those years? Uh,
5: you know, hardships, uh, they are... Everybody's hardship is theirs, right? So some people's hardship is language, some people's hardship is culture, some people's hardship is... The, the people themselves like every individual yes some people learning spanish is was it hard or easy and they're like oh man it was so easy and you ask the next person it's like it was the hardest thing i've ever done in my life mm-hmm. so for me the most difficult thing that i ever faced in thailand was learning the language i mean it was just so hard i just being a southeast texas boy uh, being raised on, you know, meat and potatoes, and then moving to Thailand, especially small town, southern Thailand, mm-hmm. and picking up a language, 44 consonants, 26 vowels, five tones, so you can say one word five ways, and it means literally means five different things. Mm-hmm. So just working through the language, I mean, I re- remember early on driving my motorcycle home And literally in tears, Mm -hmm. like saying, you picked the wrong person, Lord. (laughs) Like, what's wrong with you? You sent the wrong guy to Southern Thailand. Find somebody else to do this because this language is killing me. Mm -hmm. And then getting up the next day and going back to language. And then coming home and doing it again. And literally going upstairs. I mean, my wife would tell you, I, I would go upstairs and I would lay on the floor. In my room, turn on Rita Springer. I had you know, JD Griffin says, Rita Springer knows your pain. <laughs> uh, and I would lay out, literally lay out on the floor and just weep for hours and say, God, what are you doing to me? Like why are why am I going through this so deeply with language? And then the next morning get up, put my backpack on, drive to language school. Three or four hours later come home, do the same thing. It was literally month after month of this just struggle and then there was breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And then there was struggle again, and then there was breakthrough, and then there was struggle again. But, you know, we just kept going. We just kept going back to language school. I mean, I think I went through the program of language school, the whole program from beginning to end, like three three times. times. I mean, started all the way over, back to the front, did it again, back to the front, started over again. I'm like, am I ever going to get this? It took him six years
0: to be able to preach and, like, really... And, and
5: then we partnered together with a local pastor, and and I was, um, I remember I was preaching with a translator who had preached this numerous times, and I was preaching on building an altar for the fire of God, your heart being an altar for the fire of God, and she just could not translate that day, and the Holy Spirit said, you're never gonna preach in English again in Thailand, hmm. and I was like. Ugh. <laughs> like really, and but from that moment forward, just started preaching the tie. This is a
1: clip from the last episode that we produced, where Steve was recording me talking about cultural adaptation. But once again, Cyrus, when you teach this stuff in our
2: in our church planning intensive, you share about some things that can help workers who are experiencing that turbulent tailspin of cultural stress. Uh, you know that how they can begin to be able to gain some control of that control column and pull up on it and begin
1: to climb out of that nosedive. What are some of those things that you that you teach on? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things, and it's one of the things that we often fail to do well, is being diligent in language learning. Mm. And what I mean by failing to do well, we get we have such a mindset that we have to do something. Mm -hmm. We have to accomplish something. We have something to show, whether it be because our our supporters are supporting us or (laughs) or yeah, we've got to bear this fruit and Mm. Um, honestly, what's going to make it in the long run and what's going to make somebody get through the stressful part as well as be a successful church planter or whatever else that they might be doing there is to be diligent in language learning and develop realistic expectations for language acquisition. Mm. And one of the things that um, really I emphasize in that is we cannot be an effective communicator in that language in less than five years. Mm-hmm. A, a, like, really effective. Yeah. We can't uh, share at a heart level in less than five years of diligent language learning. At the end of a year, you can do some baby talk, a toddler talk. Mm-hmm. And at the end of three years, which is a typical term, you're talking like a, an elementary school kid. Yeah. But to have, to really be able to communicate at a level of heart, heart language, it needs a minimum of five, and uh, in many cases, up to eight years. To, to really learn a language the right way. And with you don't just learn a language. Language is not just something where if I just learn how to say what I want to say in my language in a different, just change the vocabulary. But with language learning comes cultural learning. Right. And learning how to express things in a, in a completely different culture is a, a piece of it. So being diligent in language learning, having healthy expectations, mm-hmm. um, the more you're able to speak, And comprehend, the more confident you feel, the more assumed knowledge you gain. And it starts to shift that that thing I said at the very beginning where we've lost all of our assumed knowledge. And the more I'm able to understand what's going on around me, the more assumed knowledge that I can gain. In episode 40, Jeff and Christine share that after 31 years of ministry in East Africa, the one thing that they would go back and do over again is spend more time investing in the local language of the tribe that they lived with.
6: What's something that you guys would go back and do over again? Well, you know, thinking back through, that's a good, that was a good exercise for us to think back (laughs) through. And I think the thing that stands out the most, um, at first anyway.
7: It came to mind right away.
6: Yeah. I mean, we thought of a lot of others. And uh, what comes to mind right away is language proficiency, Mm. Um, learning the language, language and culture, language and relationships. They're kind of tied together in so many ways. Um, If you can get, to uh, the heart level, the heart language of those that as a missionary, as a global worker, we're going to serve, then that takes you to a whole nother level of getting into the the depth of their very being. When we first arrived and we began Swahili study, we met the expectation of studying for three months. And that was enough. Um, We've been more in Kenya more than a decade. And we were in the rural home of a Ken, of some Kenyan friends. He looked at us and he said to us, as we were using a translator to talk to his wife who didn't know English, this gentleman who are, we felt was our Kenyan father, you have been. he said to us, you've been in our community long enough. You should be able to speak our language. Hmm. We should be able to expect to hear you speak to us in our language and we can understand one another in our language. Very powerful to us. I mean, it wasn't intended to um,
7: chide, us. chide us
6: or anything. He was just challenging us. Yeah. And that has stuck with us. He was right. Mm. Absolutely. You know, being there and that was probably 12 to 15 years after we landed on the ground in Kenya and we still weren't fluent um, in the local language, even though we were somewhat fluent in Swahili. It mattered that we couldn't talk directly to his wife Mm. without going through someone else. It mattered to him that we didn't consider it important to do to consider their language, their communication. And that was wrong. We do it over in a heartbeat.
1: We're going to end this episode with an audio recording sent in by our dear friend Kim, who is willing to share her story that I think we can all relate to of the ups and downs of language learning.
7: Hey, Silas. Thank you so much for wanting to hear part of my story with language learning. It is something I love to share about because it is a place of refinement and encounter And yeah, I think just a big part of what God wants to do in us. And I think that we could all agree that the work that God wants to do in us is often a catalyst for the work that God does through us, which is fun. So thinking back to when I started to learn the specific language, um, there was a language like it in Malaysia. (laughs) I was committed to just a year there with my friends, but we valued language learning enough to do some classes. And, you know, we could laugh at ourselves and made mistakes. And of course, you know, brain dead after class, but we did see that it would build bridges with people and we were content with that. You know, we were thinking, all right, we'll learn a little and then trust God with the rest. So at that point I was actually not too convinced that I even needed that much language because of what I could get by with with English. Um, But then fast forward to a year in 2017 when I'd made a visit to my current country to check out some long-term teams. So we had visited, uh, well been a part of this large conference of 300 plus Christian background teenagers and they didn't seem to have a understanding of relationship with Jesus. They weren't interested when the speaker was talking, playing on their phones, falling asleep. And I just was so stirred to share my stories of encountering God as a teenager and how I found adventure in God. And well, anyway, we didn't actually have very many translators at all. So I'm just trying to think of all The words that I know in Malaysian, which is similar to this language here. And as I'm sharing with these students, these young girls, you know, I'm realizing I sound like a toddler. The language, the words that are coming out of my mouth are simple, but they understood them. And I saw the way they were touched and there were things that I shared that they'd never heard before growing up in church, being of the small population of Christians here in this huge cousin-majority nation. And I was just thinking, what? You know, how can I give them more? How can I give them more? My heart was burning, and my thoughts felt scattered, and I tried to learn extra words even being there at that camp um, uh, of teenagers, hundreds and hundreds of teenagers. And the words that I would hear, I would just immediately forget. And I'd write them down, and it just, it wasn't sinking in. And I was really discouraged. And just thinking, who is going to tell these young people about life with Jesus and how it's life-giving and how it's better than what the world offers and how it's really like life or death, you know? So I had really been stirred at that time, I felt more motivated than ever to learn, to learn more, um, and, it, and at the same time felt disheartened at my limited ability to remember even just a few new words. And, but So that, that was one of the kind of platforms that led me back to this country, along with a lot of other words that had spoken. So the next year, in 2018, I finally did move to this country, and... Began taking some longer classes and seeking out immersion opportunities. And I began to understand more things, but still felt like an outsider. I could tell people were talking about me, but, you know, didn't know what they said. You know, for sure something about my curly hair, but, well, that's not a surprise. And then, oh, that time they were guessing where I'm from. sure if I wanted to know what that comment was about you know those thoughts that place where you're realizing understanding more and more words enough to pick up on conversations but not enough to keep with them enough to hear someone's talking about you but not enough to respond or know exactly what they're talking about So as the year moved on, I got more serious about living here long term and making a commitment to this nation. And as I made language progress in the spring, I I began to feel like a real local. Okay, you know, I'm thinking, all right, I'm blending in now. I'm eating the spicy food, eating with my hand, and people can talk to me in the local language. I felt like, yeah, I've already made my transition. I am now in the fluency stage. But then the next fall of 2019, when I came back to start language learning as my number one full-time goal, things changed a bit. (laughs) So, you know, after a few months of doing intensive language learning, I remember sitting down with my old friends and they're retelling me their personal stories because I'd forgotten or missed so many of the things that they told me before yeah awkward hopefully they understood right i mean not long after that i began to listen to these friends and the more i listened to them more the more i thought that i ever really know them and i felt pain and regret and guilt and, and stress and just thought you know what have i been telling people this whole time how Did I even not, I didn't know these key things about the people I consider to be my closest friends, and I wondered, have I even been been connecting at all? Connecting. So I kept reminding myself, language learning is a process, but we long to belong. Belonging. Belonging. Yeah. And then, then I'm thinking, well, how effective is my sharing? is my ministry, and my realization to my lack of fluency and realizing I sound like an elementary schooler when I'm sharing, really started to hold me back. I began to think, maybe it's better that I don't share. Maybe I should just take it slow with relationships and focus on the books so that no one gets their feelings hurt. Yeah, connecting connecting, belonging, ministry effectiveness. My great desire for these things was fuel for the fire in language learning. It made me want to learn more, listen to the recordings, try to do some reading, try to do some writing, schedule some extra hours. Um, Yeah, putting in that extra effort to keep at it. But I was still stressed. (laughs) I was stressed, <clears throat> and you know I prioritized local re- local relationships over Western ones, and I was stressed, and I lived with locals and local style, which was super effective, and I was stressed, and what? Then I was thinking, what? Wait, what am I even here for? I kept saying to myself, I did not move across the world to be seemingly alone, far from comforts and people I love to learn language what am I doing here and then I remembered what I encouraged my local friends and that's really stuck with me and I remember you know sitting them down and and just saying hey you know I want I want to share my heart with you can we not use English for this next hour or even just today so that I can grow in learning your language. I know it's clunky. I know it's, it's not very smooth. But I want to do this because I want to live here for a long time. And I want to stay friends for a long time. And in order to do that, I really need to learn as much as I can. And then that's when the things took off. My friends understood. They wanted me to live here for a long time. They wanted to stay, keep long-term relationships. So we stopped defaulting to English, and I began having heart-to-heart conversations with them and understanding some stand-up comedy. And some of the news, I mean, that's still pretty difficult, but I began to grow. And it was all by the grace of God and our commitment to learn this language together Because it wasn't about short-term fruitfulness anymore, and it wasn't about my pride or or how people saw me. But it had to do with commitment to relationship, relationship with the people here, that connectedness, that belonging, that long-term vision to be able to go deep, deeper and wider. And, you know, at that time, I thought maybe I was done. I was feeling really fluent at that time, you know. Surely we're like... 80% in. I remember thinking, you know, I'm leading and praying for people and having deep conversations and so on. But then my dream of taking a team of locals to another island for two months happened. (laughs) And one of the peaks of COVID, by the grace of God, we got to go to another island and it was amazing. But life on life, we for an extended period of time in a different language is a um, different ball game. <laughs> so most days my brain was so tired. I was the first one to sleep. And sometimes I was so tired that I missed what some of my friends would say, which led to hurt feelings. You know, there were so many jokes and cultural references that I missed, but yeah, you know, I laughed anyway. I felt left out. And then they began to bring in local dialects and other mutual languages which are many that that they had in common and then again i felt like a foreigner i was tired i was tired and you know then you start externally processing and externally processing in another language is danger zone you know talking about that dirty dish or why my sandals had been borrowed again without asking and then there were hurt feelings I think I made everyone cry at least once, and when I realized that I and it had these hard conversations, I just cried. I cried so hard, just thinking, man. I as hard as I try, I just feel like I keep failing. And as hard as I want to love these friends, and as much as I am committed to them, I'm, I feel like I'm I'm failing them, and. You know, communication is so important to me. It's, you know, number one, I think, on my strengths finder and just feeling like it dropped to the very bottom. Felt like a failure in my strengths and in my relationships. So, you know, as I began to think about the things I shared with them in Indonesian, as I'm externally processing or tired, I mean, I realized I would never say those things in my own language, or at least I would have known how to say it nicely. But I didn't know how to do that in the local language. So there's more to learn. <laughs> I realized there there is more to learn. And then at that time, too, I was meditating on several proverbs and scriptures about the power of the tongue. And I just felt filled with the fear of God again. I realized I had let the fire out at the wrong times and set things down that that, that tore people down instead of building them up and I had this list of regrets and I realized man I I need grace can I give myself grace and and can they forgive me can we talk about this what how what does it look like to move toward relationship and not um to give up on this and it turns out yeah I mean the biggest win for me was asking for help I had I had amazing individual conversations with all of my teammates vulnerably sharing about my insecurity and regrets and using their language but my commitment to them to and to this nation to continue to try and they were gracious And helpful and forgiving and I stepped off of my proud prideful fluent in language platform and back into the learner's position and I'm realizing I need to stay in the learner's position and I'm humbled again to continue to learn and uh, realizing you know I don't I'm not perfectly fluent in English you know so language is something that I will be learning for the rest of my life And it is communication and it is connectedness and it does help our effectiveness um to disciple to share to to do life regular life and you know some questions i'm starting to ask again is hey is is there a better way to say that or hey if i say something that sounds kind of weird or not nice can you tell me can you correct me because It's not my heart to talk like that. I just don't know the right way to do it. Um, Or really, is there something different I can say to replace that? Yeah, it takes energy. It takes energy. The process does have stress. But the stress does not have to eat my lunch. And it does take humility. And that's what Christ did. He came to this world taking on a new culture and became like us to show us God. And that's what I want to do. I think we want to live incarnationally. We want to go low, to lift Jesus up and to enter into people's worlds so that they can see him. And the learning their heart language, communication is a huge part of that. Um, and it's, it's hard, you know, but... I'm choosing to laugh at myself again, to continue to go low, to continue to ask questions, and to continue to keep learning. Yeah, and and another part is really, I need to continue to readjust my measure of success and self-expectations. Probably the last thing I'll share is, um, you know, for 2021, God really gave me this word about questions I should ask. And I felt God say, stop asking, how is it going? And ask, how is it growing? So, you know, if I ask, how's it going? There's really only a couple of answers, good or bad, success or failing, right? But if I'm asking, how's it growing? Then I can look at the good things that are happening, because we are growing. We are growing in language. We are growing in adjusting to culture. We are growing in humility. I mean, if we're walking with God, if we're trying our best, we are growing at so many things and there's something to celebrate. So that's my encouragement to anyone listening to this, that you would ask with God, how, how are we growing or how are we going to grow this week? And just take it one step at a time. One of my practical things I did was also um, just deciding to make the goal of, okay, I'm going to speak Indonesian more than I'm speaking Indonesian, and speaking English, see, can't even speak English anymore, but but really increasing the percent of time that I'm using the language, and um, yeah, just small goals, and, and trying my best, and we can celebrate where we're growing, and look to grow more, because we're forever students, so... Anyway, that's what I would love to share. Thank you so much for asking. Love you all.